this podcast is presented to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church in Lubbock, Texas. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Well, praise the Lord. Glad to see you here today. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. I encourage you to get a Bible just so you can see what the Scriptures say today specifically to you. And I'm just going to warn you again, it's going to be a little intense again this morning, but I believe it's important that we get the truth in our hearts. Once you get a Bible, go with me to 2 Timothy 3. We'll go to 2 Timothy 3, and then we'll go to 2 Timothy 4. As you're turning to 2 Timothy 3, Luke 18.8 says this, When the Son of Man cometh back to the earth, will he find faith? Will he find anyone that still will believe? And I believe even in that there's a a, a sense of don't give up, don't quit. Hang on to the things of God because Matthew 10, 22, it says, He who endures till the end shall be saved. He who endures till the end. So we're going to get our truth glasses out today and let, let God's Word teach us, all right? Open up the eyes of your understanding and watch what God will do. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. That word perilous there means dangerous and painful, fierce, grievous. Also means that a a society that's barren of virtue. Listen to some of the other translations. Uh, The Amplified says, great stress and trouble. This will mark the perilous times. Now, I don't want to show hands. How many of you are under great stress right now? Probably most of us in this room. It also says, one translation says, it will be a time that it will become very difficult to be a Christian. Not impossible, but difficult. Now, I I don't know what time of life we're in as, as compared to reality of when Jesus is coming back. But I do know this, that evil has increased in our world. All of us can say, yeah, we we know that, we see that. And so this is warnings here. But the Apostle Paul goes a little bit further here, and he gives us a list of some things that will begin to occur in people's lives, verses 2 through 4. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, That's a good one. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control. That's one I really highlighted. Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So when I read this in my own life, i got to look and I say, how many of those describe me? How many of those do I got to look at and say, that's me? Am I out of self-control in certain areas of my life? I believe that really marks our society. But the last one there, he said that we'll be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Is God against me having pleasure? No, not at all. But he is against when the pleasures of this life override him. Now, let me give you a little thought here, just with the analogy of football. I don't love football. I like football. And yesterday was the beginning of college football, and so I, I, I am a channel surfer. 
when it comes to college football. I can watch four games at once. And against my religion to watch a, a commercial. I never watch commercials. I jump them. So I'm back like this. I'm at my wife, it drives her crazy to be around me. So I'm, I'm watching this game yesterday, and I'm seeing all these people that are just really, really crazy about college football. So I watch a little bit of the Tech game, and something good happens. You see all the Tech fans raise their guns. And when you, you watch the, the Shorthorns, the Longhorns play, that they all do something like this. And so I'm flipping back and forth, and I'm watching Florida State and Oklahoma State, and when Florida State scores, they all do the tomahawk, and when OSU scores, they do some goofy wave. I'm sorry if you're an OSU fan. Help them, Jesus. I didn't mean that ugly. It just came that way. But I begin to see something with all those fans, and you know what it was? They're not ashamed to raise their hands or whatever about their team. Actually, they'll act clamorously, foolishly about it. But yet, when it comes to worshiping our God and raising our hands to Father God, we won't do that. Dear God, forbid that I do that in a public setting. But yet, I'll do that for college football. Let me give you a little insight about college football. About eight months from now, whoever wins the national championship... Who cares? Who cares? But when it comes to the things of the kingdom of God, we're not playing for a national championship. We're playing for a thing called eternity. And so this is just some of the warnings. Now look where Paul goes in verse 5. Having a form of godliness. Having a form of being a Christian. We kind of act like a Christian because we go to church. And then we understand the terminology of being a Christian, which I call we speak in Christianese. We take on the form of Christian, but the power's denied. And the power he's talking about is the very heart of Christianity, which is the inspired Word of God and the infilling and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And when the power of the, the things of God, whether it's the Word and the Holy Spirit, stop being in our life or we deny them, look at the end result of verse 5. And from such people, they turn away. That's why we must welcome the Word of God in our life and we must welcome the Holy Spirit. Because this list that the Apostle Paul gives right here this is reality. These are things that will begin to happen. And when you see your life flowing in that direction, don't just welcome it. Don't just kick back and live that way. Say, Lord, you've got to help me. Now, I'm going to get to verses 16 and 17, but I want to just read one more on the way that really jumped out to me. Verse 12, it says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly, not just to talk godly, but to actually live or be godly in Christ Jesus, will suffer persecution. Just a warning. You want to live for Jesus? You might as well get ready because there's going to be some attacks. There's going to be some persecutions when you start using the name of Jesus and when your life shows that I'm more than just a Christian in word. Just a warning. And you're going to see this over and over again today. That as a believer, 
There's going to be some persecution. Verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is God-breathed. This isn't just a book. This is the Word of God. This is the rhema, the spoken Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is what? The Word of God is profitable for me, for doctrine. The Word of God is reproof for me, it's correction for me, and it's instruction for righteousness. So this begins to tell me, when you you hunger for the Word of God, it will instruct me how to live righteousness. The Word of God will correct me if I allow it to which are all very good things and very important things. That's the benefit of the Word of God. Now, every time I've read what I'm speaking on here today, I get corrected. The Word of God will just correct me. Look with me in in chapter 4, 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. Apostle Paul talking here, and he says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, at his appearing in his kingdom. Every one of us in here, when Jesus comes back, whether we're alive or we've already died, we're going to be judged at his appearing. Verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Whether people welcome it or they don't welcome it. Convince, rebuke, Exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. The Word of God will tell you about your life when you're not living right, if you'll allow it to. Verse 3, For the time will come when they, people, believers, will not endure or tolerate sound doctrine. Now, it's important that we hunger for the things of God. It's important that you hunger for the truth. That's why I said today, you've got to get your Bible. Get where you look at what the Bible said. Begin to learn to study the Word of God. Because look at what's going to happen here in these last days. But according to their own desires, they won't endure sound doctrine. According to their own desires. So what he's telling us here is they want stuff that's pleasing and gratifying to them. And then he goes on to say, They have itching ears. The itching ears is really saying, tell me what I want to hear, not what I need to hear. I want you to tell me that what I'm doing is okay. Because look how he goes ahead and ends that verse in verse 3. Because they have itching ears, they will heap up from themselves teachers. Verse 4, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables, to myth, to man-made factions. And this is something that we got to fight. That just because someone tells you you can do that, it better line up with the Word of God. Because there's a strong warning here in the last days, this is what's going to take place. And in my opinion, I believe it's already happening. Now, in my own life, I'm not going to back off from telling the truth, okay? 
I can't do that. You guys got to understand this. My boss is always watching me. And in James 3, it says, Those of you who teach the Word of God, you will be held to a stricter judgment. I'm very aware of that verse, and I know that everything that I say up here, I'm going to be judged on. So whether you like it or not, I fear God more than I fear you. And I don't mean that disrespect. I hope you fear God more than you fear me. But that's the point here. And this is what the Apostle Paul told his young pastor Timothy. He said, preach the word. Thank you, I will. Verse number 7, same chapter. I have fought the good fight. Now this is the Apostle Paul and he's at the end of his life. And it's interesting to me here, he said, I fought the good fight. That tells me that this thing called life there's going to be a battle that every one of us are in. And you're going to have to fight. And he goes on to say, I have finished the race. He didn't say, I got halfway around the track and I quit and I get... He said, no, I finished the race. And that's where we all got to get to the point in our life where you say, you know what? Sometimes this thing called a race is difficult. It's hard. I don't know about you, I've, I've never ran a marathon. I have no desire to run a marathon. The thought tires me out. Now, my daughter's run a couple of marathons. I, when I run, I don't really call it running. It's just survival. At my age, it's just survival. But I can take off, and you know, you got an idea that maybe you're going to run three miles a day, and you get down the block, and all of a sudden... You get a stitch in your side. And they're like, oh, golly, I'm going to quit and go home. Or you know what you do? You just plow on through it. Well, that's the same way that I believe the Apostle Paul's telling us about being a Christian. There's going to be days that are going to be easier than others. There's going to be days that, man, you just breeze through it. And there's going to be other days where it seems like life is one big high hurdle. Look what he goes on to say. I have kept the faith. Remember Luke 18.8, I started with this and it said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find men and women that have finished the race, that have fought the faith, they've kept the faith? Verse 8, finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Not because he was some superhero, but because he kept running the race and he kept fighting. And that crown of righteousness suggests the conformity to the revealed will of God. In other words, he said, I'm going to live how God's asked me to do to the best of my ability. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all have to his loved his appearing. There's an opportunity for every one of us to have that crown that he's talking about. Now, I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. And as you're turning there, understand this, that the Holy Spirit was sent to convict the world of sin. That's John 16, 8. About a month ago, there was a lady who came come to her church for several, several years, and, and my wife quit seeing her coming 
So she gives her a call and she said to her, I've missed you. We've missed seeing you at church. And she said, well, I no longer attend there. And my wife said, well, can I ask you why? And she said, yeah, every time I go to Faith Christian, I get convicted. She said, now, and I, I'm not getting into judging other churches. I'm going to tell you what she said. Now I go to a church where I don't feel like the Word of God ever confronts me or ever convicts me. That's dangerous. The Holy Spirit was convict the world of sin. To convict me of things in my heart. So anytime the Holy Spirit is doing that to you, it may not always be easy, but welcome it. That's a good thing. All right. Here we go. These are Jesus' words. I want you to get a hold of these in this parable. Matthew 13, verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Now pay real close attention to verse 26. But when the grain or the fruit had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. Now, the tares, they closely resemble wheat. But in verse 26, it shows me there that they're not distinguishable, the tares and the wheat, until there became fruit or grain in their life. Keep reading. Look what Jesus tells us about here. So the servant and owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No. Least while you gather up the tares, you shall uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now there's a huge contrast here. If you'll catch that last verse, there's only two options. You're either burned or you get to go to God's barn. Nothing else in between. Same chapter, look with me in verse 36 and he's going to explain this to us. Then Jesus sent the multitudes away, went into his house, and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field, it's the world. The good seeds, they're the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end. Over. The age and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burn the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. Now get a hold of those words, so it will be. In other words, this isn't a fairy tale. This isn't a lullaby. The account that Jesus just spoke of is actually going to take place. Let's dig a little deeper here. Verse 41. The Son of Man will send out His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. So when the angels come, the very ones that he will not allow into the kingdom of God are the ones who offend. You know what the word offense means? A stumbling block. 
They're the ones throughout their life, they lived in a state of offense. They offended this one, they offended that one. But look at the second thing that he says will cause ones not to enter in. He said, those who practice lawlessness, everything that causes evil and sin. Verse 42. And he will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's amazing how many times in the last three or four weeks that we've seen Jesus use those words. Wailing or weeping and gnashing of teeth. When he talks about the wailing and the weeping, it's because of remorse and sorrow in their life. When he speaks about the gnashing of the teeth, he's telling us eternally there will be extreme anxiety and pain. Now, just with that thought there alone, tells me, I don't want to go there. And maybe you've said this before, maybe you've heard people say this, well, after I die, I really don't care what happens to me. You better. You better, because we go back to what Jesus said. I'll either burn, or I'll be in the barn. Keep reading. I told you it's not easy. Verse number 43. Then the righteous, oh, this is good news right here. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Then the righteous will shine forth. Who's the righteous? The upright. The one who lived for Jesus. Now, I jump back to verse 41. And he said, the ones that won't be allowed into the kingdom are the ones that offended and the ones who practice lawlessness or sin. So you know who the righteous are? The one who do exactly the opposite of verse 41. They live with a heart of forgiveness and they say, you know what? I'm going to do the best of my ability. I don't want to sin, but when I do sin, I'm going to repent for it. Now look how Jesus ends this passage in verse 43. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider and perceive. I mean, I look around the room right now. Every one of you in this room got ears. You got two of them. So the ears wasn't the issue. Do you got ears? Yeah, we got ears. Someone's got big ears, little ears, fat ears, ugly ears. The issue is, do I perceive it? Do I, do I comprehend it? Do I grasp a hold of what he's telling me? That's a choice. Now let's go back to very close where we were a minute ago. First, or 2 Thessalonians 1, that's right before Timothy. 2 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 1. And as you're turning there, you see all, all throughout those passages we read that there's a contrast over and over when Jesus talks about eternity. Now, here's the Apostle Paul teaching again here, and he's got some nuggets. I'm going to start 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. He says this, we are bound or or obligated to thank God always for you. Brethren, fellow believers, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds or increases toward each other. So he's saying, we give thanks because guess what? 
We're seeing you guys' faith increase. We're seeing your love abound. It's taken off. Verse 4. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of our God for your patience and your faith. Now, why is he boasting of their their patience, their steadfastness, and their faith? Why would he boast of that at all? Well, look what he goes on to say. In all your persecutions. So he's saying because of your steadfastness and your faith, we boast of you even though you're being persecuted, distressed, and tribulations, afflictions that you endure. And so we hear this word uh, endure once again. And the word endure here means don't lose courage. Why does he tell me all that? We'll keep reading. Which in manifest or evidence or proof of righteousness. So the way I live in patience and the way I live in righteousness and faith will be the proof or the evidence that God's looking for. In what? In the righteous judgment of God. God will give a verdict on every one of us. And it will be a fair verdict. And you know what it will have to do with? The way I walked in love and the way I lived by faith. My patience. Keep reading. Look what he goes on to say here. That you may be counted worthy. That you may be deemed deserving. And so we don't just march in to heaven to eternity because we feel like we were a good person or we were special. I live by how he tells me to, to the best of my ability. Are you preaching being perfect? No. Are you preaching being sinless? No. Remember our definition of sinless. I sin less. Sin should bother me. Now keep reading here. Verse 6. Let me read the end of verse 5 because there's some things there. That he counted worthy of the kingdom of God, which we also suffer. It's not always going to be a bed of roses. There are going to be some difficulties. Since it's a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation or affliction those who trouble you. Did you get a hold of that right there? That God said, the very ones that afflict you and trouble you, He said, I'm going to repay them. He didn't say for me and you to repay them. He said, he will repay them. Verse 7. And to give you who are troubled. How many are troubled today? And you give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So he's going to recompense the ones that have been troubled. And the the, the ones that are tired and troubled, he said, I'm going to give you rest. I like that thought. That the day's coming that God is going to give me rest and he's going to give you rest. Stay right there. Keep your finger right there. Let me read this to you. This is Revelations 14, 11, and 12, and 13. I stumbled across this the other day. Actually, when it talked about the rest we just talked about, I started cross-referencing and just seeing what he talked meant about rest. 
Listen to this. And this is when people have died and gone to hell. Verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. They have no rest day or night. Now, when he talks about that, he's not talking about a three-day weekend. He's talking about forever. He said forever. They will not have any rest. That's not a pleasant thought. Listen to verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints here. They are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they may rest from their labors and their works or their deeds follow them. Right here, once again, you see a huge contrast. The ones that will live in eternal damnation, no rest ever. But the ones who go to heaven, it's going to be a continual rest. It's going to be a continual peace. You know, all the people that have gone to heaven and they talk about heaven, every one of them talk about it being a place of peace, a place of rest. They all describe it in a way that's very hard for us to understand. But I believe when he's saying there's a place of rest, it's going to be incredible peace forever. Forever. Well, you guys aren't excited about that. I am. I really like that thought. Now we go back to where I was. Look at verse 8. In flaming fire, he says, I'll take vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In a flaming fire, he said, there's going to be vengeance. There's going to be retribution right there. To the very ones who, number one, don't know God. And what did he say, second of all? Those who don't obey his commandments. John 14, 15 says, those who love me, obey me. So yeah, I can say that I love God. But do I obey him? And he lets us know here, there's going to be vengeance. And then he goes on to say in verse 8 or 9, These who don't know God or obey the gospel shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord their God and from the glory of his power. I want you to get a hold of something. When he's talking about the stuff he's talking about here, he said everlasting fire. Everlasting punishment. When he talks about this right here, he's not talking about correcting me and you and trying to teach us to get to a place where we repent and we get born again. When he's talking about this right here, when this occurs, it's over. It's everlasting punishment. In other words, we don't live to play another day. This is it. I'm going to be truthful. When I sit here and I read Paul's words here, they seem harsh, disturbing, almost like he's cold. They're eye-openers. And, and just right here in this passage, he uses the word affliction, he uses the word vengeance, punishment, and destruction. Let me tell you something today. 
for the churches all over the world, but the churches in America, and for this pastor not to preach about that, it's wrong. It's gutless. Actually, I believe to look at this more and more, and it's eternal injustice. Because if you don't fully understand your eternal destiny can be this way, and you need to read the book. You need to read the Bible and get a hold of this. And we got to quit playing games where we act like, well, we're all going to heaven. Well, just read your Bible. Now, I don't say that ugly. I don't say that to, to, to break people. It's just the truth we all got to understand. And I see this more and more in America. We don't want to talk about this. We almost have the thought that if we don't talk about it, it'll all just go away. I don't know about you. I would rather know the truth about my eternity than assume it. Is it easy? No, this stuff isn't easy. And I, I don't take great pleasure in preaching on it, but I know it's got to be done. And understand my heart, because I've had one say, man, you are an intense soul. I'm not intense except when I'm up here. You get around me on the rep most life, a lot of times I don't say nothing. I'm pretty content just being there. Just sitting around. But when I come up here once again, we've got to understand the truth of this. Now the good thing is, and I'm not even going to have you turn there, but if you were to read 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 through 58, he starts talking about our eternity. And he said, thanks be to our God through the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that he gives us the victory. I want to put hope in every one of us that when I live for Jesus, I know where my eternity is going to be. It's like when the Apostle Paul talks, you sense his confidence. I'm going to heaven. And that's how, our, how, how we want to leave you today. We want this to get on the inside. The problem I begin to see in our lives, and in America even, a lot of times that when we don't have things happen in our lives the way we desire them, it's very easy for us to become very apathetic about the things of God. Almost like this, that when God doesn't answer my prayers the way I think He should, I get discouraged. I get mad at God. I'm done serving God. I'm going to another church. It's that stupid pastor at Faith Christian. What discouragement ultimately does causes us to do is to give up on this or to quit. In that passage in 1 Corinthians 15, he said to, to his beloved, he said, Be stable. Dig in. Don't quit. Don't be discouraged. Well, I need a new job. I need a new wife. It's a good thought. Not. See, it's very easy to get into that pattern because when we start getting discouraged, we don't want to live for God. But it's interesting that the Apostle Paul, over and over, he said, be immovable, be steadfast, be patient, keep the faith, fight the good fight. So I'm warning you today, you're going to have to just keep running the race. 
And quit thinking the pastor's always greener on the other side. Even if it is greener, you know what? It's got to be mowed a lot more. And you know what? Before long we say, I don't like that. I don't like this. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com.